0: Well, let's transition here. Katie and I decided that we're going to bring a word together. <laughs> so, um, Katie, I'm going to hand it over to you.
1: Okay. Awesome. Hi, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, so, I am... Um, sorry, I've got to bring this up a little bit. I was reading an email I got... Um, a couple days ago that I received from a news source and the opening line said I'm going to leave out part of it so it doesn't give it away but part of the opening line said what has the power to set the tone for your entire day? Any guesses? Wasn't prayer? Breakfast. No, not breakfast.
0: Good good. Anybody else?
1: Come on, throw out some things. Alarm clock? No. (laughs) The gym? No. No. Give us a hint, Katie. Give us a hint. All right, five letters. Matt newbie, come on. Five letters. What? What? what, One involves five letters. It's not Jesus. All right, it's Wordle. 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 Any Wordle fans out there? If you don't know what Wordle is, it's a silly little, little word game. It's just simple, takes, takes a couple minutes. Um, but the full opening line said, actually, what New York Times game takes only a few minutes to solve but has the power to set the tone for your entire day? You guessed it, Wordle.
0: I guess that could set the tone for your entire day, but perhaps there's something else, Katie.
1: <laughs> what really has the set will set the tone for your entire day. You know, we're, we're saying, it's, it's funny, but there's actually a lot of things the world says will, will set the tone for your day or will, will change your life, even a little game. So we've been studying Colossians since Easter, talking about what it means to live a resurrected life. In the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul is establishing the theological doctrine of what Jesus' death and resurrection mean for us. So, how do we live in light of his death and resurrection? In light of our salvation and union with him. So, we're going to read chapter three today, which establishes the practical foundations of how we live our lives in light of that truth. So we're going to read the whole chapter.
0: That sounds like a lot.
1: It's a lot, but we're going to, we're going to do it. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can follow along with us, starting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1.
0: Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, You know, as a teacher, sometimes I'll assign a text and things like that, and and we might be reading it in class, and sometimes I can physically see the eyes, like, glazing over as we're reading a text, and, um, you know, there's so much power, though, in this passage, and so we're going to be breaking it down a little bit today and talk about um, some of the implications of what it means to live a resurrected life today. By the way, that wasn't an indictment of anybody in here. Um, That was just me emoting my own experiences of being a teacher in a high school at the end of the year when the weather is getting warm and um, the challenges of that experience. But, you know, Paul has so much to say in his letters. Isn't that true? There's so much theological truth, and it's hard sometimes to really take the 10,000-foot view and get the experience. you know, the full understanding of what he's getting at. But one of the overarching themes that consistently comes up is what Paul describes as the flesh versus the spirit. And the flesh, another word that we could use there would be our sinful nature. And how do we deal with that sinful nature? And the answer is embedded in this letter today. We're gonna be talking about that, right? So part of, at the beginning of this passage, what we read was that essentially, now that we are in Christ, what's happened? We are empowered to walk by the Spirit and need to make a choice to put off our old self. The remnant that sometimes can creep back into our lives, right? Uh, sometimes the danger is we might forget what God has done for us and has empowered us. And so um, when we look at verse one, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, what really has the power? to set the tone for our day and our lives. I love how Katie didn't give us the answer right away. You're all on the edge of your seats, right? What is it? It's remembering who we are in Christ, what he has done for us. And the invitation is for us to set our minds on things above of what he has done for us. When we accept Christ as our Lord, the passage says, we are buried with him and raised to new life. By the way, that's not the only place where that is discussed in scripture. If you look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I'll just um, just briefly touch on it, he says, by grace you have been saved, this is in chapter two, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We're raised with him. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. Heaven's our eternal home, but we are sojourners here on earth. It's hard to sometimes grasp that. So how do we live our lives on this earth, right? We live with a heavenly mindset. We live our lives constantly seeking the things of God, the things that are above. So there's a scripture that came to mind. It's Isaiah 55, and it talks about, um, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts Than your thoughts. The invitation here is to put our minds on the things of God, His thoughts, and that is going to transform our lives. The question is so, how do we do this? What does that look like? So, I just want to read verse 2 again.
1: Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The reality is, is there there is a lot competing for our attention in this world. Setting our minds on things above is increasingly difficult in our culture, especially because of the many computers we walk around with every moment of our day. Our society is devoted to entertainment, right? We can probably all agree with that. Yes. Escapism, right? How do we often spend our free time? Think about what you do when you, when you get home from work or when you wake up in the morning or on a Saturday. A lot of us binge watch our favorite show or the latest show on Netflix. Listen to music, listen to podcasts, watch Read the news, article after article, the never-ending these days. Scroll Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok videos. We take pictures of ourselves and videos of ourselves and post them for the world to, to see and comment and like So I know that a lot of us in this room try not to live our lives devoted to that. We try to live our lives not centered on these things. And all these things aren't necessarily bad or evil. It's not, it's not bad to keep up with the news and see what's going on in the world. It's not bad to keep up with your friends on Facebook. So these things in and, of it's, in and of themselves are not evil, but they can take over our lives. So pervasive, right? So easy to get sucked into. iPhones were, were designed to be addictive. So when we're constantly listening to the world and its messages, we probably aren't setting our minds on things that are above, that are on godly things. So how do we practically set our minds on things above? Be with Jesus. Spend time with the Lord. The simplest and most basic things that we are called to as followers of Christ. It's so cliche, but it's so true. Read the word of God. Meditate on it. Pray. Worship. Fellowship with other believers. And I just want to encourage us all to start our day with the Lord. It really can set the tone for your entire day, and I believe your life. So we acknowledge it's not always easy, right? I'm looking at people with with newborn babies in the room. Life can be busy. But it doesn't have to be complicated or overwhelming, So if it is a regular practice in your life to to start your day with the Lord, that's wonderful. And if it isn't, there's no condemnation here. Our encouragement is start small. Read a Psalm. Spend a few minutes in prayer. Meditate on a scripture that you love. Read a chapter of the Bible. I personally have seen the most transformation in my life and in my mind when I have put daily time with the Lord as a priority. I do my best. I say my best because I'm being real here. It's not always true. I do my best to pick up my Bible before my phone. And I switched to the physical Bible because the phone can be distracting. You can see Oh, there was the text message from somebody. And then you forget and you start doing 10 million other things. The past few years I've been reading through the Bible, cover to cover. I started as a discipline for a year, and then I've just started, I've just continued doing it. I don't always like hold myself to the year. I just say, I'm gonna continue to read through the Bible. I spend time in prayer in the mornings. Sometimes I read a devotional or spend time in worship. So there's no, I just want to say there's no right or wrong way to have morning time with the Lord, but the important thing is, I think, to just do it, and that we're grounding ourselves in the truth and engaging with the Lord who gives us life. So as I mentioned, the babies in the room, different seasons and stages in our life, our time might look different. We might be juggling school and a job. And kids. And kids, right? There's lots of different things that are competing for our attention. And I just want to say, I didn't always have what you call quiet time when my children were little. (laughs) They were waking me up at 4.30 in the morning. A lot of you have heard this. For years, our kids woke us up at 4.30. And I did not choose to wake up before them.
0: By the way, when I brought that up to my mom, the problem of us, our kids waking up so early, guess what her response was? She laughed. <laughs> I have a sneaking feeling that that was kind of payback. Like, I've, <laughs> I think I was an early riser as well, and I was called Benji <laughs> the bomb. So, you know, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> so it's challenging, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you still were able to do it.
1: I still tried to do it. And it wasn't always first thing in the morning. And it wasn't always an hour. But it was, it was intentional. Sometimes it was just trying to read through a little bit of scripture while my kids were playing in the room. So, you know, I just want to encourage the morning quiet time or devotional time or whatever you want to call it. Morning time with Jesus. But I just want to say it doesn't stop there. And I think that's where we get into trouble Either like that's going to fix us or same thing like Sunday morning. Well, I went to church, but then I was still struggling. So what do we do with the rest of our day? What about the margins in our day? There are so many small opportunities throughout our day to engage with God. What do we do when we're in the pickup line at school, in line at the grocery store, sitting in the doctor's office, waiting room? What do we do when we come home after a long day at work or when we wake up in the middle of the night and we can't sleep? So I just wanna encourage you to find these little moments in your day and, and meditate on the things of God. Maybe spend a few minutes praying for your family, listening to a sermon on podcast on your drive to work. Read a book that explores the practices of Jesus. Ask God a question and sit in silence. The important thing is that we fix our eyes on Jesus throughout our day. Slow down, be with the Lord. Setting our minds on things above means setting our minds on Jesus. And we need to make space for that because it's so tempting to be filled with other things and distractions in this world. So as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are transformed. We are changed in his presence.
0: That's good. Um, So just back to verses three and four, and we kind of read that, right? But, But ultimately it says, because we have died, I'm paraphrasing, we put to death everything that is not honoring to God and to others. And so then there's this distinct next passage, right? Verses five through nine, And Paul is saying, okay, so in light of all of that, let's put some things to death, right? And what does he say there? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And you can go down the list of all those things. And I think we probably all would agree, right, that these are not good things. They're not of God. And Paul is warning against them, okay? Um, And the challenge is, how do we put them out of our lives, What are the practical ways? And Katie's been already talking about how we can put these sins to death. And this is where a little bit of willpower and the Holy Spirit might come into play here, okay? So the first thing that we have to do is recognize our kind of fleshy tendencies. When we're tired, when we've had a long day, it's easy for me to default to kind of selfish tendencies. Well, I need to take care of myself, right? I need to be alone, things like that. And so part of the thing is just recognizing what my fleshy tendencies are. And how do we fix that? Um, well, part of the recognition is, is how you fix that, right? So there have been seasons in my life where... Um, where like we've watched a lot of Netflix and things like that, and please hear us. Like, I hope that this is coming across loud and clear. We're not saying don't watch Netflix. We're not saying don't listen to podcasts or like, go on Instagram or go on Facebook. I hope that's coming across loud and clear, right? Um, but there, for me, there's been seasons in my life where I've defaulted to those things and then I've had to ask myself the question, and this is just for me, right? But is this contributing to my fleshy tendencies, or is this helping me renew my mind? So this isn't a legalism thing where we're saying, no, don't do that. Okay? But sometimes, not everything that we have permission to do is always good for us. Amen. And so I found that in my own life that that sometimes has been a challenge. I like to read and I like fantasy and things like that. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. At one point, I, um, I picked up uh, this book, and you may have heard of the series. It was called Game of Thrones, and I started reading it. And eventually, I couldn't get through it. I had to put it down because it was not renewing my mind at all. In fact, It was going in the total opposite direction. And the the issue with that is um, eventually, you know, we are models for our kids, whether we like it or not. We're models for our friends in our relationships and things like that. And so all of a sudden, my son says, can I read that? You're laughing because you know how bad that is. And I said, no. And then I felt convicted. Like, I'm going to tell my son that he can't read it. Then what am I doing? Is there a double standard here? And, um, and so I just had to put those things aside and just say, you know what? For me, part of the litmus test is sometimes I have to ask myself, again, is everything on Netflix bad? No, not at all. There's edifying things on there. Some great stories, but I had to look at things through the lens of, is this actually helping me or is this detracting from me renewing my mind? Are you hearing what I'm saying? i making sense? Part of this is also living a, um, a, a disciplined life. It, it means we need to make boundaries for ourselves. And for me, in my own life, and you have to ask yourselves the question, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a break from some of those things. A, because I have a lot on my plate, and B, because it's not actually helping me renew my mind. It's actually moving me in the other direction, okay? And this isn't legalism. This is just my own experience that I'm sharing with you. You have to make these decisions as families, as couples, and independently as an individual. I used to be an athlete. I certainly wouldn't classify myself one as now, but, um, back in the day, uh, I played water polo and I I played it in college for some time. And so we used to work out pretty intensely and things like that. But, um, nowadays if I wanted to lift my own body weight, which I assure you, I cannot do that. Um, you, you, I, I, like I can, I just can't do it yet right? And if I were to go to the gym and to get on the bench press and try to bench ballpark 200 pounds, okay, I would not be able to do that. But I, I could if I started slowly. If I started doing five push-ups and then 10 and then 20 and 25 and then work up to that, right? And that's part of the invitation of what Paul is saying with us, right? What does he consistently use as an analogy? It's the athlete, it's the runner, right? And it's because there's something that comes with the discipline in which we form habits, right? I would like to say I'm a runner, but I'm not right now. I could be eventually if I form that habit. And if I wanted to, I wouldn't go out and start running 26 miles because I would probably have a heart attack. And I'm not joking. But if I started to work up to that and form this habit, then I'm starting to exercise those muscles. And eventually, over time, I would be able to lift my weight or run that marathon. Paul recognizes that. There is wisdom that comes out of that. And it applies with spiritual disciplines as well. John Mark Carmer in his book, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a great plug for this book. I highly recommend it. Thank you to the Terribiles who mentioned it to us, says this about spiritual disciplines. Listen, he says, a spiritual discipline is similar but different. He's talking about the physical work of forming habits as well. It's similar in that it's any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that, which currently I cannot do by direct effort. It's a way to access power, but it's different in that not only are you exercising your own capacity to do the right right thing, excuse me, this is what we call willpower, but you are also opening yourself up to a power far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. You're creating time and space to access God himself at the deepest level of your being. So some people would get really cynical and say, Why do I have to have like a quiet time in the morning? Or why do I have to do these spiritual disciplines? Or some of you even probably have a problem with the word discipline, right? It's such a loaded term in our society today. Call it a practice, call it a habit, right? But why is Paul encouraging us to engage on those? Because we're building up our spiritual muscles and that's gonna help us with our willpower. But if you try to do it just simply by your willpower, it's not gonna be enough. In fact, it's never going to be enough. We have to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit as well. We have to lay it before him as well. And they work together. Does that make sense? And so forming those habits, it's not out of necessity. It's because Paul knows and Jesus knows that when we form these habits or, or disciplines, we're, we're becoming more like him. We are renewing our mind. We are transforming our mind. And I can tell you from personal experience, there have been so many times when I've tried to will it. I'm gonna do it of my own accord. I'm gonna do it of my own power. And how many times, and maybe you can identify with this, have you fallen by the wayside a week later, a month later, a year later, and you're like, shoot. It's because we're trying to do it by ourselves. We're not engaging in the power of the Holy Spirit that actually has the ability to renew our mind, to transform our mind. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Sorry, Katie, I went off script there.
1: It's really interesting, like watching the process. Like, we wrote this together, and you know different things happen in real time.
0: She's like, no, you're meant to say (laughs) this right now.
1: Wait a minute. It's great. great.
0: Are you with us? Is this making sense? Okay, let's keep going. Oh, it's still my turn.
1: I mean, I can take over if you want. (laughs) I'm taking the part that was supposed to be his. So, okay, willpower, Holy Spirit reliance, discipline. I just want to say it also takes community. We are called to Christian community. I know you guys know that. That's why you're here. But it doesn't just take place on Sunday morning, right? Sunday morning is important. We are called to gather together and worship God. We also need close relationships that go beyond the surface. Hey, how you doing? How was your week? Good. And get into the details and the struggles in our lives where we have the opportunity to encourage each other and hold each other accountable.
0: Does that mean that we dunk on every single person that we see at church with what's going on in our lives?
1: No, I don't think that would be a wise decision. We can't do okay. that with everybody. Okay, but we great. can invite certain people into our lives too, to walk with closely who really know our struggles. That's great. That's great. Um, Ben kind of touched on this, but talking about like kind of struggling with sin and like how do we make that change? Sometimes there's a temptation, and this is something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace, to say, well, we're all sinners. So I don't know. I don't have to do anything, right? I'll never be perfect in this life. I'm saved and, you know, I don't have to do anything. It's actually, we have to do something, we're never going to reach perfection in this life. There is that knowledge we know that, but God is calling us to something higher when we when we follow Jesus. He's calling us to put off the old self, like it says in the Colossians passage. And the beauty of that is He's not asking us to do it in our own strength. So He's reminding us that we are alive in Christ, and that He has defeated Satan. And he has defeated the power of sin over over our lives. So we're no longer slaves to sin.
0: Just one quick comment on that. And so God is calling us. So yes, God has done the work through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? And I think sometimes our tendency is we sit back and say, well, yeah, God's done that, right? Um, But I think God is also not calling us to passively just sit back, well, God's done it all, right? But there is a, a sort of um, a push for us to actively engage in what it means to be a Christian. When we get saved, yes, the work is done, but that is the beginning of the process. That is not the end. And so that's that's part of the temptation is to sit back and passively engage in our Christian faith as opposed to actively pursuing what God is calling us into on a day-in and day-out basis. Amen?
1: Amen. So we can put these things to death, these things that are not honoring to God, and we can live in a way that is honoring and pleasing to him. So verses 10 through 17 talk about that. I'm just going to read through it and talk about it briefly. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I don't think we can go wrong when we aim to do everything in the name of Lord Jesus. In love. I just want to sum all that up, and it's love, right? And love is a decision we make, it's an action. It's not just a feeling like, oh, I like that person, I'm going to love them. We are called to make a decision to put others before ourselves. So when we live that way, when we are putting on Christ, we are putting on our new selves. And then we get to see a little bit of heaven on earth. We get to see his kingdom come, which is beautiful. And I just want to say we are called to do this in all of our relationships, right? Our marriage, like with our kids, with our friends, with our extended family, But we're also called to that in the church. And we can only do those things, like I said before, if we are actively involved in each other's lives. So we need to really be engaging in relationship to be able to walk these things out in the body of Christ. We won't have the opportunity to forgive someone or ask forgiveness if we don't really spend time with them, enough time to offend somebody. So we need to spend real time with this for happen, for this to happen.
0: It's kind of scary, isn't it? You're taking a risk. You're being vulnerable when, when you go into relationship with people. And that is hard. And so sometimes that leads us to incline ourselves to not go deep with one another because that's hard. And we've had, we've had conflict Yeah. Don't worry, we're not going to process in front of you. (laughs) No, but we've had conflict. There's conflict that happens in the church. And that's okay. It's okay that that happens. The invitation is, what does that look like in light of what Jesus has done for us? What does that look like in light of how we've been transformed by the working of the Holy Spirit in us? And we've had our minds renewed That means that we can openly go to somebody if we are in conflict and we can share in humility and in love and we can forgive and move forward. Think about our nation today and how divided it is. Think about our communities and think about the opportunity in which the church has, um, a way to show what it means to reconcile in a way that is honoring to our heavenly father think about how that could radically transform society can't happen if we're fighting amongst ourselves and we don't know how to healthily deal with conflict does that make sense mm-hmm. amen
1: Think that there's one thing you meditate on this, this week. Meditate on that part of the scripture. Sorry, I'm, pa- I'm passing the thing. Sorry, you go.
0: So the, the last passage, it's kind of a famous passage, isn't it? And uh, there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm sure, you want me to read it?
1: No, just uh, the, the part starting in verse 18, which is what we're talking about. So verse 18 through chapter four, verse one. What's that
0: called? The S word? Is that what you said? All right, keep going. Submission, right?
1: Yeah, where it talks about submission. Yeah, so
0: there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm sure some of you uh, are hoping or may think that we're going to take a stand on egalitarianism, right? That's the idea that men and women have equal standing in the home and the church or, or complementarianism, right, which is this idea that Um, men and women have equal value before God, but but have different roles in the home and in church. And we're not going to take a stand on that issue right now. But by virtue of the fact that we're standing up here, you may have a sense of how we feel about that. But several sermons, several studies could be done on this segment of Scripture. And because we're looking at Colossians 3 in its totality, we're going to touch on a couple of little elements here. Um, And so one thing that I think is important to note is the cultural context of the passage. I so appreciate when um, John Ketchum provides some of the cultural context when we're talking about scripture, when he uses the Greek and things like that, and that can be helpful for us to understand what's going on. Um, one of the things um, in the Greco-Roman world was that a husband and and father was what was called the pater familia. He was the head of the household, and by Roman law, he had absolute power and authority over his household. His wife, his children, slaves, and bond servants, right? And in some cases, this led to abuse. And in light of these laws um, and the codes and some probable instances of abuse, Paul is addressing both those in positions of authority and those who are under authority as well. Paul isn't necessarily a social or political revolutionary, but he's concerned with the gospel and what that does to transform society. And so in that way, it is revolutionary, what he was suggesting, okay? Paul understands that genuine change comes through the heart, through inward transformation and ultimate submission to who? Jesus. Ultimate submission to Jesus. But why don't you address a little bit more about this? Okay.
1: So, Paul is addressing what it um, looks like to live a transformed life in your relationships. Right? He's to taking these traditional societal roles and is shaping them with the gospel. One aim of these biblical household co- codes for new believers is to eliminate the harsh treatment, right, that women, children, and slaves were often experiencing in that society. So one example is how um, Paul is telling husbands to treat their wives. He doesn't just say, you have authority over your wife. He tells them to love their wives, like Christ loves the church, right? He says that in another letter. He's telling husbands to lay down their lives for their wives. No, I don't, um, I don't suggest you say this to your husband. <laughs> you need to lay down your life for me. No.
0: There's been cases where I needed to.
1: But that, that is the ultimate expression of love, right? Is laying down one's life for another. And that's what we are all called to in the body of Christ. Putting others' needs before our own. Humbling ourselves. So husbands aren't to be harsh with their wives. There was to be no abuse of any authority that people had in that time. So Paul tells women to submit to their husbands. I'm not going to lie. This word scared me when we were talking about marriage. We're talking about what does it mean to be married and going through premarital counseling in our roles. It scares so many people. As Ben mentioned earlier, a lot of people call it the S word submit there can be validity to that fear i just want to say that because of unfortunate abuse that does happen in relationships so we're not talking about submitting to an abusive person if there if anyone is experiencing abuse in any relationship um please get get help and seek help But so we, we, you know, that was true in Paul's day and it's true today. Is there gonna be an an abuse of authority? So that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about submitting. We're talking about submitting to Jesus and and loving others, deferring to others. Ultimately, living a life that is transformed is living a submitted life. We are first and foremost submitted to Jesus. We're submitted to his lordship. His authority, and then we're submitted to one another. So I can't have a problem submitting to my husband. In Ephesians 5 20 to 21, it says, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I just want say, when we are not submitting, we are not putting our trust in God. We're trying to be in control. So, yeah, I just want to say, again, like, in the body of Christ, that is what we are called to. We're called to submit to one another, to defer to one another, to put others' needs before our own. That's what we're called to in marriage as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, again, like, countless sermons. Countless studies could be done on this, and so we're not trying to give this short shrift. We're actually uh, just kind of acknowledging a few things here, but of course we could talk more about this. Um, but on a practical level, you know, some of you might be wondering, well, what does that look like? What does that actually look like? Um, well, in our earlier days, um, we uh, Micah was born in 2009, and so we kind of came to a crossroads in our lives, right? Um, Katie was working as a full-time teacher. I was working as a full-time teacher. She had these wonderful relationships um, with people at the school that she was working at and a professional identity, right? And so we kind of came to this crossroads of what now happens now that we've had a child, right? And what were you kind of thinking about that in terms of submission and things like that? And then I'll share a little bit about it.
1: Sure. I was wrestling with what do I do with who's going to care for my child, and what, what's, what's more important for me right now in this season. Is it me, t- you know, giving up my job to be home with my child, um, which is what I kind of felt like the Lord was calling me to, but there was a fear there because we didn't have a lot of money as teachers in the early days, and so getting rid of half of our income felt kind of scary,
0: and that was one of the things that I was worried about. I was like, well, what are we going to do like financially? like we're now cutting our income in half. How are we going to like be able to survive and things like that? And I had to be willing to kind of submit that, call it what it is a fear um, and 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 be willing to kind of lay that down. And Katie also had to be willing to submit in terms of your work life, your professional identity, and things like that. And just so everybody knows, right, of course, there, this is not prescriptive. This is not, we're not saying to people like, hey, you need to give up your job to raise your kids or things like that. Like, people have different, everybody is unique in their own experience. And really, that's something that you as a as a couple or um, and, and need to bring that to, to the Lord about how you respond to that. But that was part of our process is that we, individually and as a couple had to submit to the Lord and say, God, what do you want to say in this matter? Mm -hmm. And we felt like, okay, okay, Katie's going to stay home and, and hang with Micah. And there was blessing and challenge that came out of that.
1: And I just want to say, there's an example of Ben laying his life down like he took up extra jobs to provide for our family so that so that I could do that. So there there are different ways that we I think submit to each other and and lay down things for for each other or for our families or for our friends, right? That we're we're first submitting to God and then and then to each other.
0: Now I feel like we need to submit to the clock. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Dennis. I saw you shaking your head no. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, You know, to sum up Colossians 1 and 2, and I invite all of you to go back and read it in its entirety because it is so powerful, the entire book. It's only four chapters, right? But 1 and 2 is laying down the foundation, um, the theological foundation for what Christ has done. And then chapter 3 is about, so how now do we live as a result of that, right? And we can live um, by transformed lies by renewing our minds, by pressing into Jesus. And part of that is by exercising spiritual disciplines, by practicing the way of Jesus, by consistently renewing our minds, by getting to know our Heavenly Father. And that looks very differently for every person. But the encouragement is to engage with him. Sometimes I just lay in bed and I'll say Psalm 23 over to myself. And it's empowering. It renews my mind. And so again, it, it's gonna look different for different people. Um, but the encouragement is to press in to, d- to do as um, as John Mark Comer said, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's it. Pretty simple, isn't it? So, the encouragement here is and let's
1: invite the worship team to come yes. up at this time.
0: So I just want to encourage you to, to maybe again, as Katie mentioned, maybe you have this robust morning routine or nightly routine. Um and and so whatever that looks like for you, we just want to encourage you keep doing what you're doing. And maybe you don't have that routine. And and again, there's there's no condemnation here, there's no guilt. That's not what this is about at all, right? Um, but maybe. See what that could look like for you. One thing that has been helpful for me is sometimes to take an inventory of my week. What does my time look like? And so that might be a really small, practical step for you, right? What does my time look like over the course of the week? And do I have any opportunities where I can maybe refine my schedule to spend some time getting in the word or praying or things like that. So that's one encouragement. Um, The other encouragement is just to ask the Lord, what do you want to say to me about how I engage with you? Sometimes you just have to ask the question. And so I want to invite you to now do that. What does that look like? Maybe you need to just sit quietly and listen. Listen. Maybe there needs to be a dialogue. Maybe you need to journal. Um, The invitation is to respond in a way that is going to be glorifying to God and is going to help you in your response to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's respond.